Anyway, I thought today that we would talk about the Holy Spirit. And in particular, who is the Holy Spirit? Because it's relatively easy for us to picture God the Father looking a bit like Santa Claus without the red coat and the reindeer. And it's relatively easy to picture Jesus. Just think of a white Caucasian public school boy wearing a nightie. (laughs) Now, I'm not meaning to be irreverent, obviously, but it's just the kind of familiar imagery leads us to those kinds of mental pictures, doesn't it? Even though we obviously don't get any of that from the Bible. But it's much harder for us to picture what the Holy Spirit looks like. The Holy Spirit is the one that we struggle to understand. He is a bit of a mystery. There's a number of other things that also don't help us. One is that God the Son became visible through the Incarnation. John 1.18, Jesus said that his purpose in coming was to reveal to us what God is like and to make the Father known. But the Spirit remains invisible. Another problem is that the Hebrew and the Greek words for spirit are both picturing something impersonal. They both mean wind or breath, air in motion, in other words, which kind of fits with something that you can't see, but where you can see and feel its effects, sometimes very powerfully, of course. The uh, Greek word is pneuma, from which we get our word pneumatic, as in pneumatic tires filled with air. Both of those words also mean life. And that's because in the ancient world they thought of breath as being the source of our life. Which is actually pretty understandable if you think about it because a baby seems to start living when they start breathing. And when someone stops breathing, they're dead. Which is why in Genesis 2 it says, The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. But all this is still impersonal imagery. And then the final thing that doesn't help us is that the doctrine of the Trinity, how God can be both one and three at the same time, is the hardest for any of us to understand and explain. So this is why people make a number of mistakes when they think about the Holy Spirit. One of them is to depersonalize the Spirit and to think of him as just the power of God or as an experience of God. Another mistake is to think of the Trinity as one person, one God, who just functions in different modes of being with different faces at different times, like an actor dressing up in a different costume when he's performing a different character. Like on Stars in Their Eyes, when the presenter says, who are you going to be for us tonight? Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be God the Father. Or tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be God the Son. And this is actually a classic heresy called modalism. If you want to sound posh and impress all your friends at a dinner party, or maybe lose all your friends, it's also called Sabellianism. And then finally, another mistake is to think of the Holy Spirit as the weird one of the Trinity, who does strange things and does strange things to people. We're comfortable with the imagery of a father 
And we know what Jesus is like from the Gospels. But who knows what the Holy Spirit might do next is a standard assumption amongst Charismatics and Pentecostals. Some people think that he specializes in changing his mind just before the service or even in the middle of the service, which gives rise to this idea that with the Holy Spirit, as they used to say in my favorite TV show when I was growing up, anything could happen in the next half hour. Stand by for action. about to launch Stingray. Isn't that great? Uh, to be honest, you know, maybe it was a bit unnecessary to play the whole thing. But anyway, we are where we are. Just like uh, Stingray, though, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the assumption is that anything could happen. So what I want to try to do this morning is to put a face on the Holy Spirit, to explain who he is and what he's like. And as I'm doing that, what I'd like us to do is to ask ourselves, what kind of Holy Spirit do I know? How do I think of the Holy Spirit? Do I know the Holy Spirit? Have I experienced the Holy Spirit and do I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? In all of the different ways that I'm going to explain. And the point is so that by the end of the morning we all feel that we know the Holy Spirit and we're in love with the Holy Spirit just as much as the Father and the Son. So let's start with the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we don't see much of a developed doctrine of the Holy Spirit, or of the Trinity, for that matter. And the reason for that is because God's overriding concern was that Israel should understand that there was only one God, not lots of gods, as the other nations thought that the sun and the moon and the stars were not gods, but just things that God had created. So the last thing that he needed was to confuse them with the doctrine of the Trinity, which is the hardest one for us to understand and grasp even today. And yet, right at the beginning of that creation story in Genesis, we see little glimpses of God's identity as Trinity. So, for example, in the second verse in the Bible... It says the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. 
So the Holy Spirit was intimately involved in the creation. And then on the final day, God says, let us make mankind in our image, plural, which is very unusual language in the Old Testament. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Never forget, by the way, that uh, it's only male and female together who are the image of God. Despite the father and son imagery, God is not biologically male. Because as one theologian rightly said, if God is male, then the male is God. Now, some male male Christians may like to think that and uh, behave like that, but it's completely wrong. So in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God mostly appearing as the power of God. In the book of Judges, for example, we see the Holy Spirit coming upon people, like Samson, to empower them for a particular purpose. Or we see him bringing prophecy or giving wisdom. So what happens is that he comes upon a person for a time, and then he goes away again. And also in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit being spoken of in terms of what's going to happen in the future. How one day God is going to rescue and renew his creation through a spirit-anointed person called the Messiah and a spirit-anointed people. That one day the Holy Spirit will not just be coming on certain individuals for certain special purposes and then going away again. The Holy Spirit will be coming and staying and poured out on everyone permanently. And that, of course, is what we see happening in the New Testament, starting with Jesus. And that is the era of the Spirit in which we are now living. The New Testament is when we see God deciding that now is the time to start to explain his identity as one God in three persons. So to begin with, the early church had to get their heads around Jesus being God. And then a bit later, on how the Holy Spirit was God. And how there need be no contradiction in continuing to believe in one God while recognising him in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the early theologians in the first four centuries or so figured this out from the scriptures And then we get this understanding passed down to us through the early creeds. So what I want to try to do this morning is to sketch out for you who the Holy Spirit is and what he looks like, figuratively speaking. And there are three headings, three aspects, or three features, which are the key words that I'd encourage you to remember. Person, presence, and power. He's the person of God, he's the presence of God, and he's the power of God. And we need to understand the Holy Spirit and think of him and speak of him and experience him in all three of these ways. And as we do that, we'll see how it's impossible to separate those features because person, presence, and power all come together as a package. You may have heard Christians sometimes speak about the Holy Spirit as a dove. And they get that from Jesus' baptism, where it says the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And that's fine, 
But we shouldn't make a theology out of that and assume that every time the Bible talks about a dove, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, which it isn't. Or that the Holy Spirit behaves like a dove, because again, that depersonalizes him. It's taking one verse and stretching it a bit too far. But we don't need to do any of that because in the same way that Jesus revealed to us what God the Father is like, he also revealed to us what God the Holy Spirit is like. One day Jesus says to his disciples that he won't be with them forever, that he will be returning to his Father. And they get really anxious when they hear that. And in that context, Jesus then says to them that someone just like him will be coming to be with them instead, coming and staying forever which is his way of explaining the Old Testament promise of the sending of the Spirit. So the same Jesus who was, excuse me, the same Holy Spirit who was permanently in Jesus and with Jesus and who empowered Jesus would now be in them and with them and empowering them as well. And the Greek word that Jesus uses to describe this someone just like him who will be coming to be with them is parakletos. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will send you another parakletos to be with you forever. Now the reason that I'm bothering you with the Greek is not to be clever, but it's because the word has a range of meanings no single one of which is adequate to translate it. And before we look at what those are, I just want you to see two features in this verse. The first is that the one who will be sent is just like Jesus. That's the sense of another here, another like himself. And the second is that he will be with us forever, as the Old Testament promised. Now the basic meaning of parakletos is one who comes alongside to help. Which is why the NIV, if you're looking at it in that version, the NIV translates it as helper. And that's part of its meaning, but it's much more than that as well. It also means an advocate, someone who speaks to someone else on your behalf. Like a defence lawyer, a barrister, who speaks for you in front of the judge who's on your side if you're accused of something in court. It also means a comforter, which is how the King James translates it. And it also means a companion, an intercessor, a counsellor, a strengthener, and an encourager. Maybe one of those is a way that you'd like to experience the Holy Spirit this morning for the Holy Spirit to come and to be that for you this morning. So that's the kind of person the Holy Spirit is. He's another parakletos, just like Jesus. Or as the message puts it, he's another friend like Jesus, who God the Father and God the Son have sent to be with us forever. And you know, because they are one family, And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all share the same nature and character and they all have the same agenda for our lives and for this world. That is why Scripture speaks of him as the Spirit of Jesus, 
Luke does that in the book of Acts, and Paul does that in the book of Philippians. And theologically speaking, everything that God does is a united effort. So where the Father is, we find the Son and the Spirit. Where the Son is, we find the Father and the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, we find the Father and the Son. So whenever one of the three is named in connection with something that God is doing, all of the Trinity are involved. So there's no reason for us to think that the Holy Spirit is any weirder than God the Father or Jesus. If you can't see Jesus doing something or saying something, if he was here with us now, there's every reason to think that the Holy Spirit won't be doing it or saying it either. So when we sometimes see some strange things happening when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, it's not that the Holy Spirit is doing it to them. It's just how we react sometimes when the human encounters the divine. Sometimes we may react physically. Sometimes we may react emotionally. And sometimes we may not react at all. And either way, that is all fine. So it's not about, is it the Holy Spirit doing it? It's a natural response, a natural reaction of our personality type when we have a powerful encounter with God. So don't worry about it if it happens nearby you, whether it's happening to you or someone else. Just relax and enjoy the presence of God. And if there's anything to worry about or anything to explain, then leave that to whoever's leading the service. As long as the fruit is good and it draws us closer to Jesus, then that is fine. So the Holy Spirit is the person of God, the presence of God, and the power of God. And another way of putting that is to say that the Holy Spirit is the person of God whom we experience as the presence of God and the power of God in our lives. A theologian called Millard Erickson said, the Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to the believer. Another theologian called Clark Pinnock said, although we speak of the Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, from the standpoint of experience, the Spirit is first, because it's the Spirit who enables us to experience God. So he's the person of the Trinity who is active in the world, who is putting into effect the will of God and the purposes of God. He's the person of God who transforms lives and transforms situations. So maybe if you've been a bit scared of the Holy Spirit because you've seen or heard about some weird stuff, then please don't be. You know, sometimes it's just people who are weird. God is always allowed to be as weird as he likes. That comes with the territory of being God. But that doesn't mean that Christians have to be. So we need to be introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. We need to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be open to the power of the Holy Spirit. Without being afraid of him. Because only through the Holy Spirit do we relate to God in our lives at all. So as we move on now to thinking about the Holy Spirit as the power of God, 
we will continue to see how these three overlap, these three concepts of person, presence and power overlap and come together. We said at the beginning that to describe the Holy Spirit in that impersonal language of wind and breath can be unhelpful. But it's only unhelpful if we leave it at that. It's when people only think of the Holy Spirit as a power or a force or an experience that it leads to all kinds of wrong expectations about him. And that's why John Wimber, who was the main founder of the vineyard, always said that we never seek the power of God. We always seek the presence of God. Because God's power and everything else that we need is always found in his presence. And in the New Testament, the type of power that we see happening is not just the spectacular stuff of signs and wonders and miracles, although, of course, it includes that. The moving of the Spirit in power is part of the inbreaking kingdom that began with Jesus and that we are called to continue. But as well as doing that stuff that Jesus did and the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, we also see something called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And of course the Apostle Paul wrote both of these passages. So he understood and he experienced the Holy Spirit in both these ways. As power to do the work of Jesus and power to become a person like Jesus. So let's have a a quick look at the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And in the vineyard, we believe that anyone can move in any of these gifts. And that's because the gift is from God to the person who's receiving it. It's not a gift given to us. And that is why anyone can pray and see God move, even a child or a new Christian. So that's one kind of power from the Holy Spirit, and God wants us to experience that and to expect that. But it's not the only kind of power that the Holy Spirit brings. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about this fruit of the Spirit. And that is all about the kind of person that we become when the Holy Spirit is given free reign in our lives. He talks about the transformed character and the transformed way of living of someone who is filled with the Spirit. In other words, someone in whom the Holy Spirit is living and upon whom the Holy Spirit has been poured out, as Jesus said, would happen. The kind of person that we will become when the Holy Spirit takes up a residence. So Paul says the fruit of the Spirit in someone's life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is how the presence and power of the Holy Spirit will change us if we invite him in 
and we allow it to happen. So God doesn't only want us to have the gifts or only to have the fruit. He wants us to have both and to experience both. There's a lovely picture of this in Exodus chapter 28 where it's describing the robe of Aaron, the high priest. And God said that around the hem of his robe they were to alternate gold bells and pomegranates woven from material. And that the priest was to wear this robe every time he ministered. The bells and the pomegranates are like the gifts and the fruit. And that's how we should be when we minister to people with gifts and fruit together. And then finally, let's just bring together the Old Testament expectation of the Holy Spirit and the New Testament experience of the Holy Spirit that we now are invited to share in. In the very beginning of the book of Acts, the resurrected Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Because he says in a few days' time you're going to be baptized not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And then on the day of Pentecost, a few days after Jesus returns to heaven, that's exactly what happens. And one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, stands up in front of the crowd to explain what's happening. And it's always good practice for us to explain what's happening whenever the Holy Spirit is doing something. And he says this, These men are not drunk, as you suppose, because that's what it looked like, for it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the Old Testament prophesied this, Jesus promised this, and the early church experienced this. And it's available for us to experience as well. And do you see in these verses, do you see how totally radical this outpouring of the Spirit was going to be? Because it wasn't just men who were going to be involved, but women as well, which was totally radical in that patriarchal ancient world society. And not just older, mature people, not just the elders in the community, which is what people would have expected to be the case. Not just special people, priests and prophets. Not just the person on the stage with the microphone. Not just the people on the welcome team or the person who's been a Christian for 50 years or the worship leader or the person sitting next to you. All people, everyone. With no limitations, which this passage makes clear, No limitations based on age or gender or social class. Even male and female slaves, which is what that word servant actually literally means, even slaves are included as equals in what God's doing. So let's just finish by asking ourselves how we have experienced the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
How do you feel you need to experience the Holy Spirit this morning?